Welcome to the Inner Huddle, the podcast for parents and coaches to help children fulfill their potential both on and off the pitch. Welcome to the Inner Huddle Series 2, Episode 8. I'm Pez and he's Jeff. And as normal, we have a list of questions in front of us sent in by you, the general public, um, from our many different social media platforms and people that we're involved with, with coaching. And we're going to do our best to crack on through them and add a little bit of value. This episode is sponsored by SR Health Safety and Engineering Limited. And all thanks to them for doing so. How are you doing, Jeff? Yeah, I'm good, Pez. Good. Again, it's been a few weeks. Yeah, so hello to you and to our millions of listeners. Gazillions, I believe, at yeah. last count. When I look it up, it just says gazillions. That's it. Yeah. From all around the world. Um, Wessex. Wessex. Started first game of the season on Sunday, I believe. Yeah. How was it? Uh, tough first game against Loughborough, who always very well organised. I mean, Loughborough University is a place where you go if you want to be an athlete, so they're always very good at getting up and down the court, very energetic. Uh, we were very good first half and still went in 4-2 down. I don't know how, um, created loads of chances, but such is futsal. We went in 4-2 down and then chasing a game of futsal against a very good side is always difficult. side as well. Yeah. I think at one point we got it back to 5-3. Um we scored three very good goals in the game, but ended up losing the game 8-3, which sounds quite bad if you're a football, it's a football background, but um, futsal, that can be quite often the way it goes. Absolutely. Well, it's the start of the season. It's a long season. Plenty more games to be played. Yeah. Said like a true pundit, I think. And um, on, what is it today? Tuesday? Yes. I'm losing track. Monday last night, we had our first uh, like extra session for the youth players because a lot of parents and players have been asking, could they do more futsal? So we put on a, a just play hour, so where they turn up and we play some small-sided, small-court futsal. Uh, it was loads of fun, and I can't wait for the next one. Sounds amazing. It is. How do I sign up? <laughs> uh, by changing your birth certificate. <laughs> <laughs> well, to it at can least be under done. 16. It can be done. No, I wouldn't fancy them running rings around me. Um, right, well, we have our list in front of us. Um, and as usual, I have a few notes, and you have a extensive list of notes in front of you. you. You want to dive straight into the questions. You don't want to talk about the fact that you've had a little trip to Italy and watched a couple of games. Oh, what the weekend? Yeah. Uh, yes. Well, I um, I went to watch AC Milan in the San Siro versus Verona. Very, very good. That um, Rafa Leal is a good player, by the way. Um, he scored a very good goal. The atmosphere was incredible. Best seats I've ever had. As your seats look lovely, I was very jealous. Little TVs in front of them and stuff. I don't know how we managed to pull it off, but we did. You, you literally had your feet up. Yes, we did. Yes. Um, although we did get told off for that. Oh. Um, and I was like, I just did it for Instagram. <laughs> 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 just did it for Jeff to see. <laughs> but yeah, um, that was worth it then. Yeah, it was very worth it. But it got delayed by twenty-five minutes because of. Because um, you had your feet up. Because we had our feet up. Yeah. <laughs> they were trying to find us in the stadium to sell us up. Um, it started hailing, believe it or not. And oh, really? Absolutely bouncing off the, the turf. I've never seen anything like it. And I think the players knew that it was going to be delayed. 
because they were absolutely not bothered in their warm-up. Just went through the motions, the ball was getting stuck. It ended up like a Sunday morning one. Uh, they just booting the ball at the goal. Um, then they went off and then it was announced it was a 25-minute delay, which was great. I was in those seats just watching Sky Sports News. And, were um, you undercover or did you we get... were We were undercover. I think everyone's undercover at that. Oh, wow. Except for maybe the very front ones were, were getting a little bit wet. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was some experience. Then it cleared up and it was amazing. It was hot afterwards. Your other pitches looked like blazing sunshine. So. But then it didn't end there. Then on the Sunday, we watched Palmer versus Sampdoria, which n- not much cover there at all, but it was a blazing hot day. Um, and absolutely bizarre. They've got some sort of friendship thing going on and they were um, singing each other's um, names and songs and singing joint songs, Palmer, wow. Sampdoria, things like that. And I just couldn't get my head around it. Because one minute I was a bit worried because um, the two lads I went with both bought Palmer shirts because Palmer at home. And um, you're in the Sampdoria. We're in the Sampdoria end. Um, looking back now, the sort of ultras were behind the goals. And then I think it was probably was the Palmer end, but Sampdoria have got a bigger following and just snapped up those tickets because and we're allowed because they've got this friendship thing going on. Um, so it was a bit bizarre. Um, but yeah, finished one all. So good weekend. Mm. Thanks for bringing it up. And Sounds if anyone's still awake at home, um, <laughs> we do have some questions in front of us. Um, and I think we should get right to it. Who would like to go first, Jeffrey? I'll ask the first one. Okay. Um, oh, have I stitched myself up? Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out. Right. My son has suddenly decided that he wants to stop playing football. He is 12 years old and a pretty decent player. I don't want him to quit nor do his coaches, but he's made up his mind. It's caused quite a bit of friction between us. Can you give me some advice, please? Well, this has happened to me recently, as we touched on, I think, in the last episode. Um, my son, just turned 14, uh, decided to quit um, in the summer, so he was 13, just before he was, he was 14. And it's a very, very difficult one, especially for me, where football's been my life and... He's come to coaching sessions and been part of what we've done at Pezzas for a long, long time. Um, and it is difficult for parents. Um, but what I will say is, it is okay to quit. So I've written that it is okay for him to quit. And it is okay for your child to quit. Um, and I've written here that adults change their hobbies and quit stuff all the time. And no one ever bats an eyelid at that. Um but when kids suddenly decide to change their hobbies, we get, I don't know, almost a little bit offended by it, especially if we've spent a lot of time taking them around in the car and thrown a lot of money at it and bought uniforms or kits and boots, whatever it might be. Um, and maybe even when our own identity is a little bit tied up with our child's activity, whatever that may be. So if you're the sort of parent that goes to every training, every match drives them there um, talks about it all the time your social media posts are all about how they've got on how the team's done and it's your topic of conversation with your other friends a lot of the time and then your child decides that they don't want to play anymore it can be very very difficult 
it's a, it's a change of lifestyle, isn't it? If it, you know, it's, some kids, it's their whole week, three or four training weekends, and then three or four training sessions during the week, and it's hard for the whole family to adapt or accept the fact that um, they don't want to do it anymore. Yeah, and when you say about a, a parent's ego becoming invested in it, it's it's really hard not to, isn't it? Because you want to be excited about your, what you think's your child's passion, and you want to. Um, kind of back them in a way don't you to support them and as much as you can um i'd written down in my extensive notes <laughs> um and it's a very cliche thing to say and it's almost like a a breakup with somebody in a way isn't it it's, i've said um sometimes if you love something you have to let it go so i'm sure i've read with really young children when they stop and pause and stare at something that's going to be the thing that's their passion and their fire in their belly. So if they have walked past a game of football and they've stopped and they've been so intrigued that they've stopped and they're staring, they don't really know what else is going on around them. That's when you know what their passion is. And if the passion isn't there, you can't force it, can you? Um, and it may well come back around. So my nephew started coming at the same time as of our current under 16s at Wessex Futsal Club. Um, to the Pezzers kickstart sessions when they were, what were they, three, four years of age, yeah. like four years older probably. Mm -hmm. um, and he loved it. And then we shuffled the coaches around and had some extra sessions and I couldn't go anymore. And uh, it's not me being big headed. It's just Uncle Jeff wasn't there and he didn't really want to go if Uncle Jeff wasn't there. So um, he stopped from that age until probably school year six. Um, so how old's that, Pez, off the top of your head? School year Tens, six, elevens. under 11s. Yeah, so and he came back at age 10, 11, and now he's in the under-16s and one of the best youth goalkeepers we had. And again, that's not just Uncle Jeff <laughs> bigging up his nephew, but um, it's just, you know, it did come back around again and no one forced it. And the parents definitely weren't going to do it because they got a good understanding of child psychology and all those kind of things and eventually he found his way back into something and he's as passionate if not more passionate than some of the others that stayed the whole way through yeah very organic yeah might be a good word um i also wrote never force them to play they might return in time but not if you force it force only attracts counterforce um and much less likely to come back to it in time um unfortunately that's probably not the answer the parent no. wants to hear they want to hear a way of getting their child back into playing football now don't they but it, yeah um it was hard for me and i've i've written it in my notes um it felt like it was a part of their childhood finishing it was like this is part of my boy now turning into a man making his own decisions um having his own view of the world and it just felt like a massive change and it, it is upsetting um my advice which is what they've asked for would be to find out why for a start um, and be supportive and to try as hard as it is to take the emotion out of it so if you can do that um, and then you can if you can take the emotion out of it it's a lot easier to find out why and it might be that it's a reason that can be um, rectified and then they might go back to it I've written a few reasons why people um, quit sports pressure um, could be a lack of confidence for a number of reasons 
It could be a bit of um, groups forming within the team, some clicks, maybe even a bit of teasing and bullying. You never know. It might be they don't get on with the manager. Um, my boy quit his team when he was a lot younger because he didn't get on with the way that the manager was. Burnout. Some of these kids have been playing since they're four or five and you know, get to 13, 14. And um, how old is this one? They're 12. So get to 12 and they've you know, not done a lot else. Um, and they're at the age where they're starting to develop other interests, other passions. Um, they can see a lot more things now on social media and, and see other children doing other things and then they, they get other, other interests. So try and find out why and it might be something that you can sort out or just a change of team or I don't think there's anything wrong with having a season's break either and I know I'm going to say this Jeff but putting them in for a season of futsal which has happened with a few kids that have fallen out of love with football have gone in and had a season with you at futsal and then unfortunately for you you get the passion back for it all again um, well done Jeff and then they uh, off they go again back to football um, with their passion for the sport reignited um, but as a parent I think you should encourage them to take up other activities so my lads tried stagecoach didn't enjoy that um, cadets which he really liked to start with and then something happened there that he, he didn't want to do that anymore um, obviously futsal which he loved um, football for years and now his passion is boxing and he's pretty good at it because of the footwork he's got from the, the coaching he's had at, at Pezzas and uh, and Wessex. So he moves really, really well and he's he's really taken to it. So I've been supportive for the fact I want to try something new. And although I don't know much about boxing, I do like it. And I'm just happy that he's still doing something. If he was just lying in bed all weekend and just playing Fortnite or something, then... It might be different, but if you can find and encourage them to go and have a look and try lots of different things until they stumble across maybe just something else that ignites that passion. Good answers, Pez. Thanks, mate. Yeah, That's because I've been in it. Yeah. In the deep end. And um, it still upsets me now. <laughs> but that's all right. He doesn't listen to this because he's not into football anymore. So... Uh, Maybe we start a boxing podcast. We should but. say to the listeners that we turned the table around this week, didn't we? La last time we did a podcast, we were next to each other. And now yes. we can gaze into each other's <laughs> eyes. I can see the emotion. Yes. We can Actually, he did one of these podcasts. So if people go back and have a look through and, and listen to him, which I know they do when they discover it, um, did a podcast with a nearly 10-year-old. So obviously he was nine at the time, yeah. which I listened back to. It's the only one I've ever listened back to. I don't like listening to my own voice most people don't like listening to my voice anyway but I don't think I knew about that one so yeah. if you could send that to me I'll listen to it go and have a look it's on there it's on Spotify <laughs> <laughs> iTunes and anywhere else you get your podcast from Jeffrey. but please make sure you subscribe <laughs> thank you um, shall we move on yeah question number two is yours good Phew. right my son doesn't like watching football with me he plays in a team, but when a big game is on, he'd rather go upstairs and play on his Xbox. I feel I learned the most about the game by watching all the time. What are your thoughts? Back this one over to you, Jeffrey. Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I like it because I also feel I learned a lot by watching the game and 
maybe even watching the pundits talking about the game and picking up things back in the day. Um, who are the two presenters that don't do it anymore? I can't think. Live out in Dubai, don't they, or somewhere? Oh, and Andy Kesey Gray. and Andy yeah. Gray, yeah. I used to watch that all the time as much as I could and just try and soak it up. And, you know, because we didn't get much coaching, really, did we, back in the day? I don't know about you, but no, that was where I'd pick up most of my stuff so I can kind of sympathise with the question asker because I'd agree that I, I picked up a lot from um, watching the game and listening to the pundits and commentators. But it's very similar to the last question in that you can't really force it either, can you? Because no. um, I'll go back to my nephew again. The, what sparked his um, passion for the game just randomly one Sunday morning because it was match of the day was too late on a Saturday night. He woke up, went downstairs on his own and put match of the day on and watched the whole programme. And every week after that, carried on doing the same thing. And that's when he asked to come back to the coaching session so um, it might just happen it mm. just can't be forced again yeah I mean I love watching games with my lad um, but it's become rarer there's just too many distractions nowadays and even if he does he's on his switch or he's on his phone it has to be a really big game or something that's really exciting and then he'll sort of stick it out, but then he'll often just go, oh, I'm going to go and chill in my room for a bit, and then he's gone. Um, but I have great memories of watching football with my dad um, till he got to sort of the age I am now, and then just fall asleep for it like I do yeah. most games now. Before yeah. you know it, you're, you're, you're nodding off. Um, but yeah, you're right, you can't force it, but you know, we all like um, our kids to be into the same things as us and, and watch them together. But in... In terms of learning from it, I actually think children learn quite a lot from FIFA about tactics and timing tackles, believe it or not, and when to release the ball and keeping possession. And um, it's quite the idea behind it's quite close to the real thing, obviously. Much more it was when I was playing Peter Beardsley soccer on the Commodore 64, anyway, Jeff. Um, so maybe how we learned a bit of tactics and things from listening to them talk they're uh, learning a bit from actually being involved on FIFA I'm going to struggle for the rest of this podcast now I'm going to be thinking about how can I get to play Peter Beardsley on the Commodore 64 amazing game right should we move on yeah well just one more thing oh, go on. maybe if you can get to a live game it might not be Premier League or Championship because of ticket prices and how much travel can cost or something if if that's uh, an issue but maybe just a local game um, and just soak in a match day environment and see if that might spark something between, was it dad and son or was it um, doesn't actually say, just says my son okay um, I think it does work very well when the children are a bit older and they've kind of got a position that they prefer or that they play a lot of. So you might be able to take them to a game and say, just watch how their centre-half deals with this and watch their movement. Or if there's a striker, watch their movement in the box. And you can do that on the TV as well. They don't have to watch the whole game. But you could say, oh, come and watch mm. this centre-forward and look how they hold up the ball or whatever it might be. You could even pause it and shout through, come and have a look at this. Whatever it might be. They used to play a cam, didn't they, yeah, in yeah. our day? I, I don't think they do it anymore. I might be wrong. 
Um, but that was always a good one as well. Yeah, it's not a bad idea. Maybe even phrase questions so that you're not leading it. So who do you think's the best player on the pitch and why and what are they doing this different to somebody else? Because that might help to spark it rather than it coming from the parent. Does that make sense? Yes. What I just said? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it's um, it's a good way with uh, say like a, learning how a modern fullback gets forward and gets crosses in the box and all that type of stuff so that they might learn their role a little bit easier. But for the young ones, it's just about enjoying the experience of of watching it with with mum and dad and developing a passion for the game. Probably having a burger. Probably having a burger. Why not? At half time, yeah. I had a few at the weekend. It shows. <laughs> right. Question number three. That's your one, Jeff. That's a bit shorter, this one. Yes. I live in an area where we have lots of football clubs, franchises and soccer schools. How do I know which one might be best for my child to attend? Cool. The age-old question, Jeffrey. I feel like we've answered similar questions Yes. A few times in the past, maybe. Yeah, probably lots. Um, but it's probably clearly the most asked question. Mm. It's the one I get asked a lot. I, you know, Mum and dad come to me and say, just get into football. We don't know anything about it. My background was this and I used to play rugby or whatever it might be. We don't know much about football. And there's this team that play in this league and this team and that franchise and this and foundation or whatever it might be and it's very very confusing it is a bit of a minefield and it's much more difficult than when i was a lad you just your mates who played at school you all played together um for whatever team it was normally your local village or certain area uh, and that was it that was your team um and it's very competitive jeff and i don't think it's good for development i know we've touched on it a lot with when youth football's highly competitive at a young age, then it becomes about trying to recruit players, results, wins, and unfortunately, um, and it's just been getting quite a bit of press recently, a lot of poaching and tapping up, as the article was headed that I read. So tapping. I, I think I've seen that as yeah. well online somewhere. That tapping up is an actual real thing in children's football going right down to five and six year olds being tapped up by other children's from their sort of if uh, a child goes to a school with their kid and they play for a rival team it'd be oh go and have a word with them try and get them to sign for us next season and even going to watch games when you haven't got a game and approaching parents on the sideline it all happens um, for this desperation of trying to win games of football. It's a bit sad, really, isn't it? But it is the world that we live in. Um, but when football becomes about results and recruitment, um, the development by default does go out the window because there's not enough time to do both, really. You know, you're recruiting, you're trying to organise a group to win a game of football, um, and actually working on your whole group's individual needs and weaknesses and individual strengths and pits about the game they need to work on tends to go out the window a little bit. On the flip side of that, though, just trying to put a positive spin on it. Yeah, I missed a negative. So <laughs> I'm going to have a swig of water. Um, we do live in a time of social media and we spend a lot of our time 
slating it because of we've talked about comparison being a thief of joy when Betsy's been on before haven't we and um, but you can compare and contrast what clubs franchises soccer schools are putting out on their social media and see if their messages that they're sending out align with your um, values that you and the way that you want to bring your child up can't you so you could compare and contrast and try and find the best fit from you as well as speaking how do I put this I'm just going to say it speaking to good parents out there that are looking for the same things that you're looking for which is mm. kind of that family feel environment and the nice club that's going to or soccer schools or franchise whichever one it is that fits you best can't you so you could do some research that you maybe couldn't do in the past and if if all the stuff online is well done we won and we scored this many goals and this player got man of the match or player of the match or whatever the terminology is these days then that might not be the right club for you it might be the right club for you because that's exactly what you want I don't know but yeah well I think that's the starting point isn't it find out what you want what's your end goal your end game Um, and if it's to have a bedroom full of plastic trophies and medals etc and Facebook posts and all of that kind of stuff of of wins and glory days and you know living through your child you've got a lot full of them haven't you yeah, yeah I've got a lot full of them yeah um yeah I have now now my sons are all up there next to them in a slightly smaller box oh dear thanks for bringing that up again Jeff um yeah it's um it's difficult but find out what your values are and what you want out of it um, and then that's a good starting point. And then I just, you said, Jeffrey, then maybe go having a look and ask some questions. Um, and maybe don't get fooled by the coaches that are always oh. correcting players and thinking that must be a really good session because the coach keeps stopping them and telling them how it should be because you think that's exactly what your child wants or needs. And more often than not, it's the opposite, isn't it, Pace? Yeah, and don't want really to get too deep into it because you know there's some great places out there and some great people that are involved in these clubs. And if it wasn't for a lot of volunteers, although there's a lot of paid coaches now as well, but if it wasn't for these people, you know there wouldn't be a game. So don't want to be too critical. Um, my one big thing would be be very wary of taking your child anywhere where they release players from a young age there's no need to release players um, you know even the pro clubs I don't like it and would love there to be a different way of them doing it so for someone's dad what it tends to be running a grassroots team has decided that a couple of kids aren't good enough and then says sorry you're not good enough for my team anymore because you're not helping us win a game we're going to hold trials in the summer and you've all got a trial for your places but we're going to release you Um not good, not right, doesn't sit well with me and my morals. I might be getting old, Jeff, but I don't think any child should trial for their own place in a club. If they've given their time up for you and they're turning up for training and they're doing their best, you need to do the same for them. Do your best by them and, and stick by them. I know a lot of clubs get around this by having A, B, C teams and that is a lot better than just releasing them totally. Um but I don't like it. 
So maybe avoid teams that are always holding trials every summer. So this, that and the other. And it happens all the time and then kids are trialling for their own place in the team. Because what that does is just builds up pressure um, for the kids that are there. Then they don't try things because they're terrified of making mistakes. Um, and then they don't develop and fulfil their potential in a nutshell. So yeah, I don't know if I've said this on previous episodes. Probably. But club i don't know what the definition of club is but a club you should feel like you belong and everything yeah. you just said there would make somebody feel like maybe they don't always deserve to belong there so if you're a part of a club if it's a book club or whatever it is you should feel like you're involved and you're there as, as long as you want to keep going shouldn't you that yeah you i should... don't think it happens in any other activity hobby sport that I can think of. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, maybe rugby and things like that, it does, but I just feel like once you become under the club's banner, you're part of the family and you're looked yeah. after. Not Where, you... Whatever your level is, whatever your involvement is, and it might not even be a player in that sport, it might be you find something else that's your passion and you might end up commentating for the games or you might end up filming the games or you might do help with the admin and the kit wash or whatever it might be, but you should always... It's your club. Yeah. Oh, sorry, you're not coming back anymore because we've just... Yeah, my lad's mate at school scored 20 goals for someone last season. We're bringing him in and you're out. To try and win the local <laughs> league, yeah, cheers. Yeah, I mean, I've written here, don't base it on results or what league a team is in, but the quality of training sessions, fairness, friendships and fun. I think I think that was the end of my extensive notes for that one, Jeff. Cool, next question? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Oh, is it me? I think, yeah, four's you. Oh, wow, this is a biggie. I'm glad I'm asking it. Do you think that mindset is more important than talent? Jeffrey. <laughs> that is straight over to me. Cheers, Pez. Yeah, well, um, we were going to save this one for Betsy, who we should say our resident psychologist, sports psychologist, um, has a bit of a cough, and it wasn't the best thing for a podcast. So she's at it. Uh, duck out of today's episode um, but we left that one in there so we'll give it a little go and then maybe we can ask her when she's back as well what are you thinking Jeff? are you still scribbling on your extensive notes? I'm just making a little arrow so I remember that one's really for Betsy um, oh, Okay. mindset more important than talent or the other way around um, well I've written some notes do you want me to go? yeah go on then. well I've written I don't believe anyone is born with talent. Um, innate attributes, yes, that might make them more conducive to the game. Um, might be born more athletic or they might move a little bit better, whatever it might be, might be quick, might be born with fast twitch muscle fibers. So there are attributes and it might take... Might be born in September rather than... Yes, um, there's that as well. So you might have from a young age I had a year's more coaching than people in your own age group. Um, but to be a top player, you have to train very, very hard. And you have to listen and you have to put the hours in. It doesn't matter if you're talented or not. It might take one player a thousand hours to become good at something. And it might take a player 5,000 hours to become good at something. Or the magic 10,000 hours rule. Um, but that's different across the children but all of them need to work hard and train. Training to our players get good. 
Um, and therefore, it takes a good mindset rather than talent because it takes a good mindset to train well. So I've gone with mindset's much more important than talent. If you can get both, like a Ronaldo, who's obviously got innate attributes, talented, um, and worked unbelievably hard, harder than anyone else at any of his clubs, by all accounts, then you really have got the magic there. But there's plenty of good kids. There's good kids come into the soccer school and they bang in a few goals for their team and stuff. They come in, but they don't want to train. And when's it match time? All that kind of stuff. And they just don't want to do the training. You think, well, you're only going to get so far. You're not going to fulfill whatever potential you've got because you're not training. Training's the important thing. So a kid that comes in that's not banging in 20 goals, but has got the mindset to train, will eventually fulfill their potential, whatever that might be. Thank goodness Ronaldo is ugly and not a good-looking bloke. Otherwise, you might be quite jealous of him. I know, I know. It'd be awful, wouldn't it? One thing I've always picked up from you is if you want something, you kind of put it down on paper and then work your way back from it. And if you look at the top players and how they've got where they are, they'll tell you so many stories, won't they, of players that were much better than them but didn't have the mindset or the attitude and the desire that they had and they kept showing up and look where they ended up so talent will get you so far won't it but the mindset will take you well, when I was with the where you potential is first teams with Southampton and Charlton I used to ask the players all the time because I was intrigued and I can't remember one that said oh yeah I was by far the best it's always oh no there was someone in my year who was frighteningly good or even in the their class there was people in their own class of 30 that were better than them um and they say you know a little bit of opportunity to be fair but all backed up with hard work putting in the hours training at their strengths training at their their, their weaknesses um maybe jimmy floyd hasselbank no 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 even he said there was <laughs> people better than him i'm sure Although I did hear Darren Bent, um, who I was with at Charlton on um, Talk Sport the other day, saying how much advanced he was of everybody else around him. Yeah, um, there's there's always an exception, isn't there? I think everyone always knew Michael Owen was going to be Michael Owen. Yeah. Um, but, but generally, most will say Jamie Carragher, Gary Neville, that there was far better players than them. Yeah, especially when they've been in the youth game. I mean, I remember when I was with Southampton youth, name drop again with Gareth Bell, Theo Walcott, that era. Um, they would talk about players from other clubs, especially that they were going to go and play that weekend. Just be like, oh my God, I've got to mark this player. He's amazing. I remember um, those lads talking about, is it Tom Huddleston? I think he was their age group. How amazing he was and what unit he was and he could do anything with the ball. And, you know, and back then, Gareth was quite a hard-working fullback, and mm. eventually, with hard work and practicing his free kicks and his dead balls and you know his pace and stuff, he went on to be at one point the best player in the world, or one of the best players in the world. So, m- mindset from I've lost all the questions, but yeah, mindset, mindset or talent. Yeah, I think. Sorry, Jeff, I don't want to rant, but I think a lot of parents think that they're children are naturally talented 
especially if they're playing in a league where they're doing really, really well and they've got coaches saying, your child's talented, they're doing really, really well. Um, and especially if other teams are going, we'd love your kids come and play in our team and you know they'd fit in really well here and they'd help us win the league and you can't help but getting sucked into that a little bit. Um, and the praise and the adulation is a addictive and training becomes the the least of the priority my advice to parents is training is how you're going to get good footballers train more than they play i think that's a question coming up later actually what you just oh yes a little it is bit shall i save my rant for them, <laughs> yeah. Jeff? yeah and something in this conversation i don't know it just reminded me about something from question number two um which was about watching football with your son wasn't it yes and I just remembered, whilst you were talking, I've read in the past, but several times recently, Peter Crouch has said it again recently, um, Tottenham had a fullback, was it Asu Cotter? Yeah. He never even knew which team he was playing against on the weekend. <laughs> I did hear this. He would just turn up, go to work, play, which was playing football, and then go to training, and you'd turn up on a match day and he's he didn't watch any football so he knew nothing about the opposition but even though they've been supposed to study everyone would say what a player he was so I wouldn't worry too much about question number two but it's just reminded me I don't know what it was that triggered that so I just thought that was a good point to go throw back in there which I did mean to say but well that's the beauty of long form podcast yeah (laughs) Yeah. just go back and forth as we choose you keep ranting and I'll keep answering questions from two questions ago I just love a rant it's coming my my old age um, and there's also growth mindset and fixed mindset that we've discussed many times before. And I think to achieve anything, you, you really need a growth mindset. So you need to try and uh, encourage your child through the things that you say, you leading by example, etc. I hate that when you say etc. Because it's like you've forgotten what you're going to say. But etc. Because <laughs> I forgot what I was going to say. Um, um, to encourage a growth mindset uh, and a growth mindset is when a child realises that they're getting out of something what they're putting in so the energy and the effort and the enthusiasm they're putting into it they're getting out of it um, and that their talent's not just natural and I see it black and white now in my sessions Jeff I can see the split of growth mindsets and fixed mindsets and the fixed mindsets when you ask them to do something will go and kick the ball against the wall or the goals. Um, they don't want to be seen to not be good at anything because some of these kids are bigger and stronger than the others. They're bowling kids out of the way in matches. They're scoring hatfuls of goals and everyone's telling them how good they are. And then I'm asking them, well, can you do this? Can you do that? And they can't do it. Um, and they don't like it. Yeah, do you, th- got do you think percentage-wise over the years that, that fear of challenge in the fixed mindset numbers have gone up in your sessions massively more fixed mindsets now because it's harder to undo the damage that's being done with their clubs and the other adults that are involved in their development and it's not done on purpose Uh, i think probably social media where children know if they score three four goals i saw one at the weekend friend of mine's kid scored nine in a game and there was a picture of him with his nine fingers up i won't name him um and these kids know that they're being put on social media and things and 
So if your kid scored nine goals at the weekend and then they come into my training session and they can't do something, they, like they can't pass from their left foot or whatever, then they just go through the motions to get through that bit to find something that they can be good at because everyone's telling them they're good and they can't get it into their head. But I'm a good footballer. I should be able to do this. I don't want people to know I've got a weakness. Um, the kids that are getting on really well and the ones who end up fulfilling their potential are the ones who see training as a challenge and things that they can't do as a challenge to overcome to help them improve. They see a direct correlation between how well they're training to how much they're progressing. And when a child gets that, wow, they just go through the roof and, and the world's their oyster. It's happened with one recently, is at my session last night, um, this season, so only the last few weeks. He's just realised I'm getting better and better and better and it's because I'm training really well and training really hard and he can't get enough of it. Now that kid will fly now. He'll go above a lot of the rest who might be slightly older in the group and I've got a good kick and scoring lots of goals and whatever it might be and bullying other kids out of the way, legally obviously, um, within the rules of the game. But that is so important. I don't know if I've gone on a bit of a tangent there about mindset now, or not, Jeff. But I think I, this question important. is is kind of the the balance and the yin and the yang about what we talk about a lot of the time on phone conversations or whenever we're in. Love a phone chat, don't we? Yeah, and it, it's that balance between okay, your child's becoming talented, and that's almost to the point where if the parents aren't careful they almost can take over and because what you were saying about the parents earlier I've been saying this a lot recently it's every child is special but they're not more special than the next child so yes your child is special but I think I don't I've got no evidence to back this up but I don't know if most parents biologically a kind of program to think that their child is more special than anybody else's child well, there is a stat i can't remember it's like 80s or in the 90 percent of parents think that their child is gifted or special at something okay well so then, if they're playing football probably that stats the same so 80 90 percent of parents think that their child's the best player and they might just need an opportunity to show it or the right coach to bring it out of them which is one of the reasons why they chase it around and the grass might be greener somewhere else because they're just looking for that one person that might bring it out of them because they're of course their child's not so without gifted. dismissing all the other questions i think this could be one of the most important ones that we can cover because yes. if your child is training really well and then getting really good and then becoming talented and then you move them out of that environment because you think they're ready for their next challenge or whatever yeah. it might be i well, that happens. They just want to show them off. Look how yeah. good my kid's yeah. in. And then they forget somewhere on the line, Jeff, that it's the training and that mindset, and mindset yeah. that's helped them get to that so, level. And then they, they stop doing it. It's almost like you can change that open mindset to a fixed mindset. And you're thinking you're helping the child when actually you're doing the reverse, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And you, you asked about has that, that changed? Um, I think it has. Um, I think there's a lot more fixed mindset. I think a, a lot of children don't stick around at one club or um, wherever they're learning their football for as long as they used to. And I think this is one of the reasons that they, um, the parents pull them out and get them into a Saturday team, a Sunday team, 
Um, I think also a lot of parents, how do I put this? <laughs> Back in the day when I started, when children were with us for three, four, five, six years and they got really good and a lot of them went on to pro academies and things like that because they'd worked hard, they had a growth mindset um, and they put in the hours and the effort. Um, I think the parents were a lot more grateful then for the help and support you've given that child. Now it seems to be there's an attitude more of my child's special, naturally talented. Someone would have brought that out in him anyway. If it wasn't you, it would have been someone else. So kind of thanks, but they'd yeah. have got there anyway because my child's special and naturally gifted. And now they just need an opportunity to show someone what they can do. And it becomes about, I've got to try and get my child to be in the right place at the right time then for a scout or someone else at a higher level to spot what they already know that the child's talented. And actually, it all boils down to the child's growth mindset and what he's doing at training. That's, that, that's the environment and their mindset. Environment yeah. and mindset. So, yeah. Be grateful if you found a decent environment. And maybe don't just pat your coach on the back and say, thanks for everything you've done, but my child was going to get there anyway. Yeah, am I sounding bitter and twisted? I don't know. Perhaps I am. Uh, we are old and bitter and twisted, Pez. So maybe you, it's part of our you charm. You can be <laughs> as old and bitter and twisted as you like. I know you didn't say yeah. old, but I'll i tell you what it is, Jeff. I've been doing it so long now, I actually get upset. And I mean generally upset when I'm coaching children who I think have got potential and then suddenly they disappear. And they're going somewhere where they're told, stop, stand still, um, just doing team football. The individual stuff's gone out of the window. And I've seen it so many times now, and those children not fulfill the potential I know they've got because I've been doing it a long time. It almost brings me to tears, especially with someone that I've formed a, a bond with and an attachment. Um, it's the hardest part of my job by far. Yeah, well. And the worst part of the job. Same for me, boss. I'll echo that. So in answer to question number four, do you think that mindset is more important than we talent? We are on question four. Jeez. Yes, we think mindset is more important than talent. But talent will come in the right environment with the right mindset. And if you've got both of those things, be grateful. Stick Unless at it. Plenty more about this in my book that's coming out. <laughs> We're ready to Qu move on. Question number five. Yeah, come on, I'll get tired again. So right, right, we're it's going my through turn to, it. My turn to read one, isn't Hit it? Hit me then, go on. What do you think the future of youth football will look like in terms of developing players and what would you like to see? Crikey. Um, I have written a few things down here. A bit higgledy-piggledy and not in much order. Things I would like to see. Should we start with that? I would like to see, and we've touched on this not last one, I think the episode before. More governance for elite leagues and more governance for private coaches. That is something I would like to see, Jeff, so that somebody can't just set up a manufactured team, poach the players, enter the JPL, um, promise the earth, and um, you know, just be let loose. Um, I think there should be governments and tiers within that. So you will be categorised, if, especially if you are charging money. And I'm a paid soccer school and I'm quite happy for that to happen. So 
all your safeguardings and stuff okay they get done through the fa but i think it might be even more important when you're calling yourself elite and uh, pathway to pro football and whatever else terminology is used out there um and you're releasing kids if you're releasing kids there needs to be governance go on getting emotional about it again because you can't just tell a child of seven eight nine sometimes six whatever it might be that they're not good enough to play something that they love it's not right and if you are going to go down that route you need to know how to do it without affecting that child's mental health and it shouldn't be no offense someone's dad who's been you know asked to do the job um deciding that that child's not good enough which can affect that child's mental health they need some sort of training and i went out and did a course on children's mental health because i was worried about it and I've, we've never released a player in our lives but i just felt it was important to be in the know and i just think a lot of people just do what they want jeff private coaches are the same see but they're allowed to aren't they because no one is ordered there's no ofsted there's no auditing for exactly cow- cowboy coaches doing what they want there's 16 year olds out there now no offense to them but they've not had a lot of experience setting up one-to-one coaching schools and then getting a nice logo and stuff and bag of balls a few cones and then they look for drills on the internet and Away they go, but they've got no idea of how to communicate with children. And, and, and fair play to mindset. those young people that are doing that, trying to go and do what they love. But there should be an apprenticeship. Like you wouldn't have yes. somebody who hasn't got. I wouldn't discourage it. Sorry, that sounded. Yeah, you wouldn't bad. have someone who hasn't got done their apprenticeship in bricklay and come and build your house, would you? You wouldn't. You just wouldn't. And these are your trust kids. Them. You're trusting yeah, them with. Yeah, exactly. They're precious and kids. Some people might think, well, it's not that important, but. We obviously do, don't we? Otherwise, we wouldn't yeah, be Yeah, because we know the damage that can be done yeah. to the growth mindset and developing a fixed mindset, um, mental health, you know, bad habits that they can actually coach into the children. There's a lot more harm that can be done than good um, with private coaching and um, elite leagues. So, yeah, went in a bit deep there, but some governance and some categorizations and some what should I call it inspections random inspections I know the child welfare officer um, what do I call it part of the FA I've seen an email recently saying that to send your details in about um, where your training sessions are and stuff because there'll be spot checks to check that the safeguarding okay. things are, uh, are all being done which is brilliant but it needs to be more, and especially with... I mean, private coaches do what they like. I mean, are any of these private coaches, when they're getting kids come to them, and their parents saying, can I have a look at your safeguarding, your um, first aid, your qualifications, your insurance? I don't think so. Maybe no, they are. It's, it's all... I've been doing it for years and no one's ever asked me. Yeah. And I've got the lot. I did start at one point making little posters with who the child welfare officers were and things like that. I'm going to get back to that now, actually. I haven't talked about it today, and so everyone's aware who they can go and speak to if they need to. Yeah, And then a register for these places so parents can type in 
Joe Bloggs, one to one coaching, and it can come up with their qualifications, and that they're registered, that they're safe, um, and also for elite leagues, that you get that from being a Cat One, Cat Two, Cat Three, however they choose to do it. But it can be done, and with the money that's in the game, and the money that some of these leagues generate, it should be done. Yeah, no, it's, it's all good points. So maybe they can work towards being a category four whatever it is and it has to meet these criteria it's yeah well they do in the pro game and yeah. why you know kids are kids whether in the pro game or whether they're in grassroots and these elite leagues are grassroots football um, they might say they're bridging the gap between the two but they're still grassroots but not yeah governed yet they're doing similar things like releasing players like the pro clubs do but they have um psychologists and training and things like that to to deal with the possible fallout so the other part of the question um i've still got other stuff i'd like okay, to see Karen, sorry you keep going I told you i've made some notes jeffrey yep. um and i reason i wanted to get that one in there is because you'll love this one more futsal than small-sided games so i'd love to see an increase in futsal futsal leagues money in the game um, I'd like to see pro clubs jump on board and there'll be Liverpool's, Chelsea's, Arsenal's, Tottenham's um, maybe even if it's just for some summer leagues so when we're all dying for our football fix we can tune in and watch some futsal and maybe released players from these clubs can play in those things or trialists or whatever it might be um, get it on the TV, throw some money at it and then there might be an option for some of these kids to play futsal and earn a living that way um, as if it doesn't work out of football or if they prefer it you know I'd love to see a Jordan Matthews from Wessex being able to make his living from it and if he can make his living from it he would be able to train more and then he'd be a better player and the national game would improve and so on and so forth so futsal and small sided games because it's amazing accelerating the development of children I've put Professional clubs helping grassroots leagues. I've talked about this before. Um, so say in our area, we've got Southampton Football Club. They could, let's pick a local league, they could sponsor the Tyro League and they could have coaches that go in and do some coaching for all the teams and form some bonds and some friendships and invite a team down every now and again to the training ground, whatever it might be, host a tournament there. Um, and that way, they also get the pick of the best players because they're keeping an eye on them and they don't need to you know be a rat race and get them all in so quickly they can monitor these kids for years and if they release a player they can have a club locally that they recommend them to and can still be worked with and looked after by a professional coach um, let's have it right they've got the money to do this type of thing um, players that get released to be invited to play in leagues under the pro club so maybe futsal league I've put so touched on that one already. Oh God, there's more. This is one I really, really like, Jeff. Um, controversial, but in future, I would like to see football training become more like boxing gyms. And I'll explain. So players um, working on different aspects of their game individually. So you could go to a training session and there would be strikers working on striking the ball there might be 
right-footed players all working with their left foot. There might be players who are um, working on their fitness. There might be players uh, working on their fast feet and movement. Might be players working on ball mastery, um, rotating round, however it might be. I mean, I go pick up my lad from boxing and there's lads doing pads, there's lads sparring, there's um, lads doing the speed bag, the heavy bag, skipping, um, all different aspects that's going to help them improve individually. I think football, I think in 50 years time we might look back and go, God, we are in the dark ages back then. And all these kids were just thrown in to play team football and learning on the job, which is what they're doing. As soon as a kid's into football, under sevens, go and play. Yeah, and we'll work out. We'll work it out from there. We'll learn on the job. So, I would like that. Um, I think that's my list of what I would like to see. Anything you'd like to see, Jeff? Because I'm sort of hogging the. No, I love that airtime. That now. last one. Um, and there have been a few things that have popped up where. They look a little bit more like what you've just described. I think there's one down in Bournemouth, isn't there? I can't remember what it's called. Football Lab or something yes. like that way. There's lots more interactive individual stuff that you can go and train. Yeah, like the interactive passing things and yeah. getting your scores and all of that. And obviously yeah. that'd be very expensive for clubs to have, but yeah, there are alternatives. And maybe it's difficult because you'd need a lot of different coaches, but... My lad's boxing, they've got one, maybe two coaches and they quickly explain what they want and they let them get on with it. Just go around and tweak technique here and there. And Absolutely. Does anyone need any help? And from a distance you can see, oh, every time you throw in that right hook, you're dropping your guard on your left. Yeah. So keep that up, lad, and do this, that and the other. And you go around and, and then, help people boom, individually. And you move on to the next one. Yeah, exactly. Brilliant. Even if it's just one or two times a week with that before you organise team training. and well, Just alongside it throughout it'll be yeah 1v1s and stuff is like your equivalent of your sparring maybe and your small sided games I just think football could be done football training could be maximised or the time could be maximised so much better than it is and I like to think we do a pretty good job at it but it doesn't look like conventional football so we have to keep preaching the good preach and fighting the good fight and educating people write a book and do a podcast to explain it yeah who'd, who'd have thought it <laughs> maybe it'll work who knows um um what was the question what do i think will happen and what would i like to see so that's what i'd like to see um unfortunately what i think might happen is there'll be a generation of players that have the best boots private one-to-one -one coaches play in elite leagues but when it gets to you know progressing to another level and getting signed by pro clubs I think it'll be more the children who can't afford to play Saturdays and Sundays and maybe come from estates play in cages and multi-use games areas in the big cities and they will kind of naturally develop a hunger a desire technical ability how to look after themselves a little bit because they'll be playing sort of on their own and with you know mixed ages mixed abilities um, so they'll become strong adaptable um, savvy if you like very intelligent football wise 
street savvy if you like and it might be that more children come from that environment in future to become professionals or professional academies than the children that have got all the advantages if you like so street smarts and nous over all the gear no idea That's yeah what you're a little bit yeah. but it's it's a difficult one because I wanted my kids to have the best boots and all that. You've got to get the balance right. But I think, I just think that children now with all the advantages lose something. So, you know, in our area, if you pay for a nice little village team and everything's nicey nice and you've got all the best things, you're playing Saturdays and Sundays and then you've got these children who might not have a lot from Southampton inner city and London's and Birmingham's and Sheffield's and wherever it might be Liverpool's Manchester's I think Newcastle's you know the list is endless I think they will eventually um, possibly be the hotbeds for players signing at pro clubs might be wrong obviously I often have Jeffrey believe it or not but it's just what how I think it it might go um, and one thing I think that will happen in the game, which sort of touched on, but with pro players, I think in 10 years or so, most players will have a personal coach, technical coach. So now a lot of pro players obviously have, if they're at the top level, they've got their own chef, their own psychologist. A lot of them now have their own strength and conditioning coaches as well as what they get with the club. And I think the next step will be these players, even your Ronaldo's of the world, will have a personal technical coach that will help them work on actually improving at football. Not within the team environment and tactics, but your basic fundamentals, passing, receiving, technical skill. Um, I think that will become much more... So years to come. a bit like Anthony Joshua losing a couple of fights and then changing up his technical coach and the whole team, you might get a a new technical coach in individually if you're yes, at the so season you might have done. You'll get a team coach and you'll get a manager that organises them to win games of football. So whatever tactics that person wants to do, um, whatever formations they want to play and they will get across what they want their player to do within that system to help them win a game and what their job and their roles and responsibilities are. Um, the coach will help coach that however they do it. But then there'll be another level where I think those players will have individual um, technical skill coaches from whatever position. Goalkeepers, well, goalkeepers almost do already. Yeah, so they do separate training away. Um I imagine now, I mean, it's been a long time since I was in first team pro football, um, but they might even have footwork coaches now because it's become so important. I mean, players are getting dropped from teams because they can't play out from the back. David De Gea, you know, not great of his feet, can't get a club. Ramsdale at the moment, I think they believe that Ray is better with his feet, which might fit into the system of playing out of the back better. It's... Um, it's become a real problem for keepers. They've been amazing at what they do for years and keeping the round thing out of the net. 
uh, and now they've they've got to be footballers as well. So I imagine they're starting to get technical skill coaches as well. I mean, obviously they'll have to be careful that they don't overdo it um, and overtrain. But they've obviously become a bit more lapse with it when it's come to them having their own strength and conditioning coaches and stuff. And they'll have their own therapists, masseurs, everything. Be a whole what's the word entourage of people maybe in years to come and I imagine and I've got nothing to back this up but I imagine American football players and stuff like that have big entourages of private coaches and masseurs and things like that but I don't know might have just made it up I just got a feeling yeah, it's interesting your insights into the future pair so <laughs> I'm enjoying it oh goodness I feel absolutely whacked out now um should we move on before I waffle anymore? Well, I was just going to say, you said about the keepers playing out from their feet, uh, with their feet and stuff, and I don't know if you heard Pep Guardiola say the other day about, um, someone asked him what he thinks the future of football will look like, and he said about, he thinks goalkeepers will actually literally come out and play to create overloads, um, which is very futsal, and go and fly, fly goalkeeper in futsal, isn't it? Uh-huh. So obviously having been involved at Barcelona so much and them being more than a club and having um, their hockey stadium and their futsal stadium next to Camp Nou or on the same grounds really isn't it Um, I wonder if he's seen that in futsal and that's what he thinks because a lot of trends have come from futsal like when Barca played and Spain played without a striker was similar to the futsal 4-0 formation where you don't have your striker or your pivot as it's called in futsal is your main focal point where you try and get it up to the striker and then have runners off the striker you you kind of invite pressure on so the space is in behind by not having that focal point so you're trying to play out of the pressure um, which he's a very adaptive coach because he's got Haaland now isn't he and he can play into a striker and they yeah. can play a bit differently or, but do whatever he wants now yeah, can't they literally but um, that is so, very interesting so that discussion around goalkeepers that might be an insight a bit like yours that that fits uh, this question quite nicely and um, things that I'd like to see more of is that like you've already covered play more futsal I'd actually like to see almost these elite grassroots leagues disappear and just just do futsal and that'll be very controversial but mm. if kids played futsal from the earliest ages whatever they, they start at all the way through to under 16s like they they do in Brazil and then and wherever else then you'd have technically very good football players if they want to go and play football but you'd also have a, a great futsal hotbed if they wanted to carry on playing futsal and the, the sport would grow and you'd have two pathways that could be equally as attractive or almost as equally as attractive to play Unfortunately it's just not in our DNA is it? It's, it's going to take a long time to um, for people to view futsal as more important or part of our culture. So Brazil, Spain, Portugal, maybe some other nations, it's sort of they've grown up playing it. It's part of their DNA. It's, it's what they do. They don't bat an eyelid at it. Um, over here, we're kind of sort of started from scratch a little bit. But obviously, with you guys and... Others, big strides are being made. Um, but yes, if they 
just played futsal up to about 16, there's no doubt the standard of football would improve in the country. We'd have better players. And for the people listening, their children would be a lot better at football. At the end of it, it depends what your end game is. Yeah, I'd love to see schools do, do futsal. So I do, do schools really need to do football when kids are playing most nights of the week in their clubs and at weekends, Saturdays and Sundays. If schools don't really need to have schools teams anymore because that used to be a thing because not everyone got to play in clubs outside of school, I think, really, wasn't yeah. it? And it used to be a bigger deal. We used to play quite a lot, probably back in the day. Did you play for your school quite a bit? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't really see the point in school football anymore, to be honest. Like maybe well, it'll be on the PE lun- syllabus. So yeah, that's where it is. I PE guess. syllabus and, and lunch times maybe. But you know, for yeah, how great would it be if every single secondary school with their sports halls did a term, two terms of futsal every year? It'd be amazing, wouldn't it? And you'd probably have more kids. Well, that would be more attractive. That whereas football might not be out in the cold, wet muddy wind and yeah, rain during the winter and stuff and you know the th- ideal I can't think of anybody that wouldn't love that at school cool just rewritten the future Jeff how does that feel it looks bright doesn't it <laughs> if only we were in charge Pez. if only we were in charge goodness right where are we at Jeff question number six so that'll be you do you think it's more important to play more matches than it is to train and We've uh, touched on this a little bit already, haven't we? Yeah. And I'm always telling the parents and the children, whenever I can, you don't get good at football just by playing matches. You get good at football by training purposefully and well and maximising your time and getting contact time with the ball. And people look at me as if I'm mad and I'm like, well... Work it out. I'm not going to go into the maths because last time I did that, Betsy said, I don't think your maths are quite right. Um, But um, if you broke down how long your child is on a ball in a match, and it obviously varies how many aside there are and how long those matches are depending on age groups, but it can be between maybe one minute and three minutes, something like that, in a match. If your kid's one of those who doesn't like to pass and a bit of a ball hogger, maybe slightly more by a few seconds, but you're averaging out the in-play time of the ball, which isn't that much, because um, it spends a lot of time out, especially in new football. It's out for throw-ins, corners, goal kicks. Um, you average out amongst the team, and you'd be horrified how little time your child gets on the ball. And like I say, it could be with under-7s, under-8s, about a minute per match. So you're playing Saturday and Sunday, and you think you're getting all this football, but actually your kids had two minutes, maybe three, contact time of the ball which is not good enough to develop the skills and the techniques and the decisions needed to reach the level that they are possibly capable of. It's just mathematics, Jeffrey. Yeah, I think on the last episode that we did, you talked about a player where you were commentating on them and asked them to pop it off, as in play a backwards pass oh, and yeah. did a Cruyff turn. I think around that sort of time... We well, we still do, but we we were doing freestyle warm ups where the kids it was me and my ball, and one day you asked me to count one of the players' touches, which was a song. We, they'd freestyle for one song, could it be five minutes, who knows? But I counted and it was over five hundred touches of the ball, 
just them playing, doing what they wanted, using the insides, outsides, toads, both the, feet, top scanning. of their foot, laces, heels. So yeah, both experimenting, feet. exploring. Yeah, and it was five hundred touches. And now you could even argue if they're not touching the ball, and they're doing a fake or a step over or a shimmy. They're getting a football specific movement in as well. So it's probably talking thousands of football movements maybe not just touches which is important to think about as well um, and I know some people argue well if you don't get the ball that much in a game you need to be working out what you're doing off the ball just as much but I think it's the other way around but that stuff's easier to learn yes it is but also if you only get it that few times in a game you need to be really good with it or the best you can be with that ball when you yeah. get those moments in a game so you need to practice me and my ball maybe me and my ball and my mate this is a lot more a vicious circle to the bottom isn't it because if they're not getting enough touches on the ball they're not improving so when they get it they're going to lose it or they're just going to hoof it away and then they're getting even less time on the ball so the there's other players that might be getting better training or more training that are just yeah. accelerating past these other children who might have more potential than them we're only discussing this question as in our training environment that we know as well, aren't we? So yeah, there might be some training environments where they'd be better off playing matches than doing the training. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, if training's doing 20 laps of a pitch, yeah, like in my day, um, and then a few exercises, a little bit of maybe two people in the middle of a circle trying to get the ball from you and some shooting at goal off the coach and then straight into a match, then... If your matches are training and the matches in their 2v2s and 3v3s and 4v4s, then maybe that is better than doing training if it's 11v11 yes. on a massive pitch where it stops stand still and when the ball's there, where could you be? And Everything's about maximising time yeah. and purposeful touches of the ball. So as a parent or a coach, you would look at everything and go, is this maximising time? Is my child in a queue? Um, is my child sat out a lot? How much contact time again? Is it purposeful contact time with the ball? Um, that's for the training, obviously. And then match time, just maybe have a little count up next time how many times they get at the ball. Maybe be your thing for the next few matches. Work out how many times they touch with the right foot, their left foot. How many decisions have they had to make? And then take them to a futsal session and see if they get as many touches and as many actions and compare that as well. That'll Affordances be great. for action. I think we call it in the skill acquisition world um, just opportunities to um, make decisions which you only get in where you've maximised that with small sided games you get a futsal you get more affordances for actions opportunities to make decisions whereas in a lot of matches that these children are playing in and learning on the job they don't get that many opportunities for making decisions if they do it's normally the manager shouting out them what they should do pass pop it off take them on recycle reset now is a new recycle by the way yeah it was re recycle um back in my day and now it's reset so that means pop it back and start again um and these kids are becoming very robotic and they're not having as much contact time as they need to actually get good at football so answer to the question it is miles more important to have good quality training and contact time with the ball than it is to play matches. But if your training is rubbish, play matches. <laughs> <laughs> but make them small-sided yes. so there's more affordances for action. Yeah.
God, I hope we don't confuse people more with that. Yeah. I don't know. Let's hope not. Shall we do one more question? Okay. Question rest? number seven to finish on. Yeah. Yes, and then we'll carry the other two over to two or three over to the next right. session. Which hopefully, right. Betsy will be available for. Take the pressure off us, Jeff. I'll read this one. Go on, mate. It's Fire a long away. one. It's far, maybe it the first, a time, while. first time ever it's sent in to me. There might have been some in the past, actually, but this one came in this week, didn't it? Yep. Please, can I have some advice? Before my son started playing futsal, he was very, he was a very steady footballer. He would work hard, win the ball back, and look for the best pass. He very rarely put a foot wrong, but never really did anything to stand out. Since futsal, he's become a lot more confident on the ball and is happy to try and beat a man. However, he will now at times get himself into trouble during football matches by trying something new. Is that a normal part of his development? Yes. And that has been the episode. Well, um, it was asked to you, so what are your thoughts on it? Oh, go on, just talk for a minute. I'll go, I was going to get my reply back up. Oh, yeah, because you actually sent it through, weren't you, to... Um to answer and you've answered it um i think this young lad has um worked hard and now he is more capable of doing stuff than he was before and you always want your child to be capable of doing more than they were before so the fact that they're capable of doing stuff and their confidence is improved is means that they are developing well and it's progressing. But with that, has become more mistakes. Um, and I wouldn't be worried about those mistakes because those mistakes are learning opportunities. I don't know if this person sent us in because they're frustrated because they're making more mistakes and their decisions aren't great at the moment at this stage or whether the child's getting some heat from somewhere, either other parents, players, or the coach or manager of their team for giving the ball away in areas they shouldn't. That, Jeffrey, can be quite easily rectified by a coach saying, love what you tried there, but maybe don't try it there. <laughs> try it here, and with this in mind and this purpose. And it goes back to what you said before about maybe getting into boxing training. If that child's trying something that's not working, you could then at training get them to work on it with another player maybe or someone else. Um, so yes, it's all part of their natural development. You don't want your kid, you don't want to teach kids to be average, do you, Jeff? No. Say, when I say average, you can do average really, really well and people make careers of it and that's great and you should be able to do the basics, fundamentals well. And I've been on this podcast many times saying those are the players you want. But you also want them to be capable of moments of magic. And I think, um, not on purpose, but I believe that that gets coached out of a lot of kids, those moments of magic, because everyone wants them just doing the basics and not making mistakes, not giving the ball away, because that can lead to giving goals away and everyone wants to win. Um, I would just be delighted if my son had the confidence to try the things and the ability to try those things and then they're not always going to get it right i mean if your kid going on one again jeff sorry if your kid um is learning to play the guitar you don't want them to just always play 
10 songs that they've learned. Or just be able to do the chords. Or just be able go to do the chords. the chords. You know, at some point, you want to go, right, you've gone through that music book, that sheet music, you can play all 10, 15 of those songs, you know all the chords, at some point your child, to get to the next level, has to be allowed to experiment and explore for themselves what works and what doesn't and what type of musician they are or guitarist they are. Otherwise, they'll end up playing those 10 songs in a cover band one day or just quitting because it's become boring. They need to be able to make that music by experimenting, exploring the possibilities, making a ton of mistakes. But unfortunately, Mm. practicing a guitar in your bedroom or with a band, you can make mistakes. Football, there's this big consequence of giving goals away and pressure to win and that experimentation exploration in football is often coached out of players which means they never fulfill the potential sure question Jeff sorry mate that's pretty much what I sent back as my answer <laughs> honestly sorry buddy <laughs> I am I am I, yeah. it, I, my passion I, sometimes takes over I think I said I'd rather have a Leo Messi in my team than the player that can only pass it sideways and backwards and doesn't make any mistakes so what Leo Messi that statistically gave the ball away more times than any other player yeah, in I, the Liga when he was there I didn't quote that stat back no. um, but you know I've I've never once been disappointed with this lad at Wessex and a decision they've made if it's right or wrong because there has been moments of magic where players are getting nutmegged I know this right, lad obviously yeah, yeah. very very well and you've got one video of him doing some crazy move because he's allowed the freedom to do it was it in a was it a training match or was it a training match he's, he's doing it all the time at the moment so and lots more to it yeah I mean would you rather your child I don't know what I would rather my child was capable of doing those things they just were choosing to do them at the wrong time it, it makes that my, will come with experience and it time. makes my Saturdays and it makes my Thursday nights and now Monday nights um, just it makes it special it makes it it's why you get out of bed at whatever o'clock in the morning to go and do these sessions isn't it and yeah yeah don't seek average seek being really really good at the basics is a difference yeah but don't don't seek your child just to play within themselves because it looks tidy and keep the ball you want them to take players on and try things obviously not in certain positions of the pitch but then that's up to the coaches um and the adults involved maybe to help them learn and understand that and that's honestly the easy part what your son can do with the ball comes with hard work effort exploration and you should be delighted and proud don't let anyone say what's he trying there can't believe you're giving the ball away you know probably because their child's not capable of those moments of magic and never will be because they're not allowed the platform to try it and it's a great parent by the way who's always trusted and always come along to everything that we put on and stuck at it and the rewards are there and then there's a few isn't there that have yeah you know we, that... we complain about the ones that do go and the potentials but there's plenty that do stay and you oh, do you do so see amazing. their potential coming out and you think wow thank goodness this is why we do it so yeah thank you'd you be like can you imagine if they'd stop playing at 10 or 11 and you think look oh, at what yeah. they can do now and how amazing they are yeah and they're better than we ever were and that's what you want as a coach yeah and there's a there's a whole group of under 15s and 16s right now that's there's there's loads so I'm I'm really happy that um, 
there's plenty that have stuck at it and very grateful cool well i think we've added a little bit of value to however many questions seven was it today yeah i think it was seven um right so we're going to leave it there yeah cool it's just not that important Jeff. <laughs> it really is you'd think it was by the amount of effort we put into this um if anybody out there has got any questions um because a lot of the ones we get in are from people we know um and involve children we know but if you're a bit further afield did we have one from norway or denmark or something not that long ago yeah which i completely misread yeah, yeah we completely yeah. misread but um anyway from wherever you are in the world, send us in a question. Um, all of the contact details and email address and stuff is in the show notes. Um, please do subscribe and share because it really does help us to grow the podcast. And as always, never forget, football isn't that important, but children are. And we will see you next time. Thanks, Jeff.